This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Today I'd like to uh, finish the series that we've been doing on uh, Willing in the Day of Power. Uh, next week we'll have the RAIN conference and next week will be a very important weekend. And I think you should all be here. We'll have a guest speaker next weekend. I've asked him to kind of work along these lines, but uh, I'll give him the liberty to do what he wants to. He's a pastor from South Africa. Uh, I've heard of him for years and uh, I've been more than 20 years in the Venda area, Limpopo area, and, uh, but a solid man of God. So, but today we're talking about willing in the day of his power. And if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to just open them. We're going to look at a few scriptures today. Uh, and I, I think it's time that we look at real Bibles I know if you have an electronic Bible, that's okay, but I'd prefer you to look at a real Bible. And uh, today we're going to look at Psalm 110, Psalm 110, and verse 3. It says, thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Last week I spoke in the evening service about knowing God and doing exploits. Our theme today is about God's people being willing in the day of his power. But I don't believe that these two ideas are very far apart from each other. And today, I'm concerned that the church worldwide is being lulled to sleep. But at the same time, God is calling us not to sleep, but to do exploits, to do something powerful. My question still remains... My attitude towards this is the same. Will we be willing in the day of his power? I believe we will. I believe we must shake off complacency. And there's a lot of it that's creeping into the modern day church. We're not preaching the Bible anymore in many churches. We're just preaching nice ideas and self-help kind of things. We're talking about being the best you can be. If we could be the best we could be, we wouldn't need Jesus. We need Jesus to transform us. The church around the world today is filled with people who sing about God. They talk about God. But there's a clear call of the Holy Spirit today for us to know God personally, to really know him. I believe for those of us that are walking and living in the presence of his power, it's important that we help others really learn to walk and know God. Not about God, know him. I'd like to read out of the passage of scripture, and you can turn here. Daniel, the 11th chapter. This will be our text for the whole day, so you just want to leave this open. Daniel, the 11th chapter. And uh, it's a very powerful text. It says, for the ships of Chittim shall come against him. Therefore, he shall be grieved and return and have indignation against the holy covenant. So shall he do. He shall even return and have intelligence with them that forsake the holy covenant. And arms shall stand on his part and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength. And shall take away the daily sacrifice. And shall place an abomination that makes desolate. And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. 
Now, I know that's hard sometimes to read in the King James Version because we don't speak that language anymore. So in the uh, New English Version, it says it this way. It says, for Roman warships will scare him off and he will withdraw and return home. Angered by having had to retreat, the Syrian king will again pillage Jerusalem and pollute the sanctuary, putting a stop to the daily sacrifices and worshiping idols inside the temple. He will leave godless Jews in power when he leaves, men who have abandoned their father's faith. He will flatter those who hate the things of God and win them over to his side. But the people who know their God shall be strong and do great things. Let me read it one more version because I just think that I want you to get it clear. In the Message Bible it says, one year later he will mount a fresh invasion of the south. But the second invasion won't compare to the first. When the Roman ships arrive, he will turn tail and go back home. But as he passes through the country, he will be filled with anger at the Holy Covenant. He will take up all those who betray the Holy Covenant, favoring them. The bodyguards surrounding him will march in and desecrate the sanctuary and citadel. They'll throw out the daily worship and set up in its place obscene sacrilege. The day uh, the king of the north will play up to those who betray the Holy Covenant, corrupting them even further with his seductive talk. But those who stay courageously loyal to their God will take a strong stand. The people that know their God. The people that know their God. We talked about this last week. We need to know God, not know about him. You know, I grew up in a religious system. I knew all about God. I even went to seminary and studied all I could know about God. Only problem was I never knew him. I knew all about him. I could, I could postulate positions and I could be an apologist and, a, and do all the polemics and the exegesis to defend my religion. Let me tell you something. Religion can't save you, but a relationship with Christ can. God himself wants us to know him, not know about him. As a pastor, my responsibility is not to tickle our ears and not to stroke our flesh, not to make excuses for slippery, sloppy, flippy, floppy lives, but to help us to face ourselves and to face truth. Sometimes the medicine is a little bit hard to swallow, but I can tell you this, if you can keep it down, it'll deliver your soul. Now, I don't mean to sound cross and I don't sound, mean to sound harsh or uncaring or unsympathetic, but my spirit is kind of stirred up and I get agitated by all this gobbledygook that's going around in the world today called church. This nonsense is being propagated today as the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's now becoming popular and accepted behavior in many churches to even have things that are called beer and hymn parties. Now we have an option to, if you don't want to wear clothes to church, you don't have to go to church because we have nude churches now. There's a few churches out there. I mean, they're even doing tattoos in church. If you don't believe me, just watch this. Kicking back with a beer at church. Tulsa Zside Christian Church is hosting Beer and Hymns this Sunday. It's part of a weekend-long discussion about the future of the Christian church around the world. An author from Portland is in town to lead the talks. Christian Pyatt says that while beer and church might not seem like a likely pairing, the two actually share a long history. 
The fact is it's been a monastic practice for centuries to brew beer. Jesus actually presided over the table, uh, the Passover table at the Last Supper with wine. His first miracle was turning water to wine. It speaks of drinking in the Bible. It's, it warns against being drunk, but there really is no place in the Bible where it says never to drink alcohol. We plan to cover the beer drinking worship service this weekend here for you on 2 News. It's church like you've never seen it before. You come as you are. The pastor bears his soul and more. Let's be more listening. Let's let us hear exactly what you've got planned for us, Father. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's okay to drop in and drop your clothes. On this day, most were covered up because of our cameras, but they insist they're comfortable receiving the word of God from a pastor in his birthday suit. I really don't think God cares what you wear when you worship. The the thing is worship. But ask people outside this congregation about a naked church and you'll get this reaction. A whole, oh my goodness. Do you think it's disrespectful at all? Yeah. No, it's not disrespectful to God. Absolutely not. I wouldn't be here. Some of the biggest moments in Jesus's life, he was naked. Uh, when he was born, he was naked. When he was crucified, he was naked. And when he arose, he left his clothes in the tomb and he was naked. If God made us that way, how can that be wrong? What does being a nudist, what does that do for you, sir? It's a very comfortable, I'm comfortable in my body, even with the scars and everything else. It's very stress-free. These folks say being nudist has nothing to do with anything sexual. It's about being free of societal judgments. I come here and, and you, know, you look around, you, you can't tell who's unemployed and who's a millionaire who the corporate executive is and who the plumber is. Because there's no pressure to be anything other than who you are. They're caring, they're understanding, and they're, they're community-oriented, and they're family-oriented. I consider it a privilege and a gift that God's given to me. Church on Sundays and tattoo sessions typically don't go together. But that's exactly what happened for services at one worship experience in Belton today. KBC 9's Scott McDonald shows you. The words of the gospel preached behind the buzz of a tattoo needle in Belton today. But I'm telling you, until you allow God to come into your life and to mark you with an ink that can't be marked and cannot be wiped off. Sunday services at LifeQuest Church were anything but traditional. And that's how senior pastor Chris Pinion likes it. So I tell people, look, I want to hold people's attention for the greatest message ever told. Add in some rock music. And a skilled tattoo artist, and you've got a much different approach to delivering a message of faith. So the idea is how can we take something that's cultural and integrate it into the church? Integrated into the church and infused into the skin. It takes a lot of dedication to do something like that. It's not something that you can divorce later in life. Once you put it on you, you have it for the rest of your life. For these folks, it's a faith in the form of an unwashable dedication and commitment to Jesus. Many people want to get a faith that they can just wipe off and only use on Sunday and not use Monday through Saturday. Whereas when you get inked by God, it's permanent. It ain't coming off. Scott McDonald, KMBC 9 News.
LifeQuest Church has been open almost 10 years now. The pastor says lots of people volunteer for a tattoo, so they had a contest to decide who got inked. Yeah, I know. What happened to the church? Where did we lose our minds? When did it happen? When did our, fr our brains fall out on the ground? I don't know. Can you believe this? These are things done in the name of church, but it's not church at all. It has nothing to do with the values of Christ or the values of the scripture. This is culture interpreting or, or being interpreted into our lives. It's what's convenient for us. It's what I like. It's what we think, not what God says. And I think we have to be very, very careful. You don't have to hide in the dark anymore. You can bring your pornographic addictions to church and go to a new church. I know it sounds crazy. But there's even churches today that promote a casino lifestyle. They go together to the casino all night, Saturday night, and then they show up at church, spending as much time at the casino as they do at church. Gamble all night, drag in on Sunday morning, and then you wonder why the service is dry, why they don't have experiencing the presence of God. And I know that some of you may be sitting there saying, well, Pastor, why are you preaching stuff like this? This is between me and God. It's personal. It's none of your business. But the Bible says it repeatedly and that it is the responsibility of the priest. It's the responsibility of those of us that preach the gospel, the preachers, the prophets, whatever you want to call them, to put a difference and to make a difference between that which is clean that and that which is, which is unclean, that which is holy and that which is profane. I know it doesn't look like it, but I can tell you that there's a whole generation of people in the church and outside of the church whose hearts are crying out for someone, for you and I, to draw the lines and to establish boundaries, boundaries of truth, and not move them back and forth to accommodate the social climate. Grace was never meant to destroy the law or deliver us from the law. Grace came to fulfill the law and to complete the law where the law came up short. And the law came up short in this fact, that it couldn't produce righteousness. The law cannot produce righteousness. In fact, the law is in opposition to the promise. The law was given to the Jewish people for a season. It was never given to the Gentiles, but it was given to the Jews for a season until the promise came. The Jews rejected the promise, but you and I received the promise of Jesus Christ, which is also the promise of Abraham. Abraham's promise is our inheritance. We were grafted into Abraham's promise, but the law came for a certain group of people, the Jews. But the law was given to show forth sin, to show forth sin. The law came up short because it was not of faith. And righteousness can only come by faith. But the law, which simply means teaching or instruction, according to the word of God, is our schoolmaster. And it's there to lead us to Christ. That word schoolmaster doesn't mean tyrant or dictator or slave master. It means tutor, guardian, guide, or attendant. Now, why should I hate my schoolmaster that led me to Christ? 
We shouldn't. We should love our schoolmaster. We should love the fact that, hey, we have something that is a guide to reveal sin in our hearts but leads us to Christ. Grace came to deliver us from sin and to empower us to conquer sin and to live a holy life in the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants us to live by the power of his spirit, and that we do by grace. Many church leaders, many theologians today, they leave you believing that God or that grace and the law are in some kind of a fight. They believe that they, they want you to believe that somehow they're opposites, that they're against each other. It's almost as if they put Moses and Jesus into a ring and say, okay, fight it out. May the best man win. The Bible says that the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, but the law came by Moses. Why is there so much war against the law in the church of Jesus Christ today? I'll tell you why. Because the law deals with absolutes. And we live in a society that has adopted relativity as its basis of life. Everything is relative. There are no absolutes any longer. But I'm telling you there are. The law is what defines right and wrong. The Bible says this in Romans 3.20. By the law is the knowledge of sin. The New Living Translation says, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. You see, the law is what establishes boundaries. A person without boundaries will either offend themselves or offend others, will violate law and violate not only themselves but often others. We need Boundaries today in Zimbabwe more than ever before. We need absolutes. We need our boundaries defined. Zimbabwe is quickly becoming a lawless nation. Many of your families have already become lawless. Many people in the church have become lawless. The Bible says it this way. It says, the mystery of iniquity doth already work. 2 Thessalonians 2.7. For the mystery of lawlessness, iniquity and lawlessness are the same thing is already at work, but only until the one who now restrains it is removed. What that simply means is that right now there's a restraint on the earth by the Holy Spirit. He lives here. He's in the church. He's in our lives. But if we remove the restraint, or if the restraint is removed, the whole earth, the whole world will fall into total lawlessness. I think you can see that the mystery of lawlessness is already working around the world. We've never seen as many wars. We've never seen as much violence. I know people say, oh, it's just because we have television now and we can see it all the time. No, the fact of the matter is it's increasing. As the birth pangs of a woman, so are these calamities, trials, and lawlessness increasing. The word lawlessness or the word iniquity in that verse of Scripture means lawlessness, it means transgressing the law, contempt. It means being in violation of the law. It also means wickedness. Many people say, well, wickedness is an awful strong word. No, wickedness is probably the mildest of words. Evil is a strong word, but wickedness is where we all live. We get the word wicker. Have you ever seen a wicker chair? It just simply means wickedness is simply crooked. We're not straight. We bend. We allow ourselves to be bent with the culture. We allow ourselves to be bent like chameleons with the crowd that we find ourselves in. Tap your neighbor say, I don't have any idea who he's talking about today. Just tell him that, okay? 
You see, the contempt that we see for the law today, the disrespect that we hold towards law and order, especially in Zimbabwe. I mean, you know, we began to disrespect law and order because of the heavy-handedness of our police. The policemen were uh, tools used by government to collect money from us so that they could fund their splinters in their parties. It was a terrible thing that happened. But what it did, it was partly responsible for destroying our faith, our trust in the police department. To where, I don't know about you, but even your pastor at times would see a guy waving me over and i just drive right on by because I thought I'm not paying another $20 for whatever little flippant thing he found on my car that is wrong. Oh, don't look so holy. I know. I saw some of you do that. You see, the point of the matter is that regardless of how our police officers behaved, we needed law and order. And we still do today. I think our government has done a great disservice in the way that they treat the police they honor the military, they honor the army, but they have made second-rate citizens of our police department. But our police department, as far as I know, does very little except takes care of a few accidents, and I think they're investigating some crimes, but they're <laughs> usually not very successful. Somebody needs to help them go out and at least direct traffic. Amen? But then we need to respect them when they do. I see some of you, there is a policeman out there and you just drive straight through like they don't exist. That's not a good attitude, okay? But I believe that the contempt that we see for the law today, the disrespect that we hold towards law and order is rooted in the church. The church that has rejected God's laws. You see the world the street, the violence, the contempt, the rebellion that, we've, that we have today towards law and towards law and order is really a reflection of a lukewarm, self-ruled, self-governing, self-centered Laodicean church that says we don't have to have any laws. We don't want to have any laws. We don't want to have any restrictions. There are no absolutes, and it's all about grace. It's whatever we want to do, whatever I think is right. You see, the problem is that whatever you think is right affects me. We're in the same boat together. If you decide it's all right to drill a hole in the boat, we both go down. That's not very smart. Amen? There are no absolutes in our society, we believe. And there are no consequences for wrong actions because we believe that grace has destroyed the law. So there's nothing telling us what right or wrong is or that holds us accountable. But I want to know something. I thank God for his law. David said it this way in a number of Psalms. He says, thy law or the law of, he says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Psalm 94 says, blessed is the man whom you, have ch whom you chasten, O Lord, and teach and, and teaches him out of your law. Psalm 119, 29 says, Remove from me the way of lying and grant me your law graciously. Psalm 119, 36 says, 
Rivers of water run down mine eyes because they have not kept your law. I don't know about you, I sometimes have rivers of water run down my eyes because I see how lawless our nation has become. How lawless our leaders have become. Our text this morning is taught in Daniel is talking about an adversary, not only to the children of God, but to God himself. This adversary hates the people of God. He hates God's sanctuary, hates anything to do with God. This adversary is the enemy, and he's set to destroy and to defile the sanctuary of God, to desecrate the holy place of Almighty God, to bring in the abominable, the Bible says, the unholy and unclean, vile and profane, The Bible even calls it the abomination of desolation or the abomination that makes desolate. Of course, this is talking about any sin or any perversion of truth. But it also clearly includes things like homosexuality, lesbianism, which is standing in many of our pulpits around the church today. Daniel prophesied, they will bring in sin and set it up in the place where God is supposed to be honored and loved and worshipped and from the place which truth is supposed to emanate. Now, I want you to know something. I am no saint in the sense of I do sin. And I'm on the journey with you as a pastor. But I am not espousing sin. I am not saying it's all right to sin. I'm saying that when we sin, we must go before an almighty God and we must repent and we must say, God, help all of us. And as a pastor, I must be the first to repent. I must be the first to say, hey, I fall short of the glory of God. And I have many times and I'll continue to do so. But this is not just a gig that I have on a weekend. It's not something I just do. Our band leaders and our worshipers shouldn't be up here if it's just a gig. It's not a gig. It's an honor to serve God's people. It's a holy responsibility. We do it before an audience of one, not a crowd, not an audience. I'm not performing for you. I'm here to bring truth, and I do it before God. See, this adversary that's against anything holy, this adversary, this demonic spirit is going to begin to carry away many that are weak and carnal and fleshly and materially minded, and they call themselves Christians. This spirit will capture them, not with great, overwhelming, irresistible strength, but the Bible says, but the power of flattery, with flattery. See, the devil will appeal to their flesh to their fleshly appetites and desires. See, the devil's smart. He knows what you want. He knows what you desire. And so he couches it in a way that says, it's okay. You know, we're under grace now. You can go ahead. A little bit of sin, a little bit of arsenic won't kill you. Those who were one-time lovers of truth, those who were one-time strong preachers of holiness and sanctification and separation from sin, Some of them are going to do wickedly against the very law of God, the very truth, and the very covenant that they once defended. We're seeing it in the church all over the place. Men who call themselves pastors. You just saw 
probably the one extreme, but how far away from truth do you have to get before it's no longer truth? Then he shall join forces to pollute, defile, and profane the house of God. Bringing all kinds of wickedness and uncleanness and perversion right into the sanctuary of God. And they'll take away the daily sacrifice, the Bible says. They'll take it away. In other words, they'll despise the crucified life. The life that Jesus commands his disciples to live. Jesus in Luke 9.23 says, Jesus said, that any man that will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, that's not a popular message. I can hear somebody saying, oh, pastor, you're painting a really bleak picture. You make it sound like we're in the dark ages or something. Let me tell you something. We are in the dark ages. These are dark times. And it's going to get worse before it's over. John 9, 4 says... Work while it is day, because the night cometh when no man can work. Isaiah 60 verse 2 says, For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. That's happening right now, by the way. Gross darkness is on the people. It's amazing. Just as it was in the time of Egypt, the time of Moses, the darkness was so thick and so heavy, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face, and no one moved from their places for three days. I know it sounds bad. But it's just that compared to all this, the stuff that we get in many of our self-help gospels is the candy fluff, the white cloud stuff that you hear that's so sweet and wants to make you so comfortable. Well, this doesn't make you sweet, nor does it make you comfortable. Somebody told me, Pastor, you know, you're not preaching comfort to the afflicted, you're preaching affliction to the comfortable. (laughs) But see, the Bible tells it in full strength. He says, it'll be dark, and gross darkness will come upon the people. But I also love the word of God, because God is so awesome. He paints these pictures for us. It's like God standing to the side, and he says, okay, devil, take your best shot. You know, God allowed that to happen. The devil took his best shot at Job. I think sometimes God allows the devil to take his best shot at the church. And then the announcer giving the blow by blow. There's a left, there's a right. There's, and, and, and all the coverage that, that, of, of the damage that the devil does. And then all of a sudden, Jesus steps into the ring. He leans back and he turns it loose. One shot, boom, and the knockout blow to the devil happens. He shows you that he's still the champ, that he's... Large and in charge. He's still the boss. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now, if the Holy Spirit will help me for a few minutes, I want to bring you to the close, the heart of this message. I think this is what the Holy Spirit really put into my heart for us today. Everything else was just to bring us to this point. But, but, that one little word changes the whole picture. That word means, now that you've heard everything else, understand what's coming next. You see, that word, but, will eclipse the rest. 
will eclipse the rest. It's the word that tells me what's coming next is greater, more powerful, and more significant than everything that preceded it. So hereafter, the bad report is out. There's one little game changer, the word but. But it means regardless of the darkness, regardless of the evil, the wickedness, the violence, the lawlessness, the corruption, God still has a people. You know, the Bible says in a very corrupt age, he says there was a church. It says, and at the hands of the true apostles and the true prophets, God performed many signs, wonder, 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 many wonderful miracles. The Bible talked about a group of people then that came bursting onto the scene. Everywhere they went, they shook the whole world. They turned it upside down for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another way of saying it is, they did exploits. Many exploits. You see, I believe that the devil is trying to manipulate us, to intimidate us to back the church into a corner. He's trying to emasculate the church and strip us of our power, our spiritual power, of our spiritual virility. He's trying to make spiritual wimps out of you and I and make us spiritually impotent and powerless. Impotent. Reminds me of the the, the American, the southerner who uh, was told by his family that he had to go to the doctor. He went and he had a checkup and the bad news was that he would have to have his prostate removed. The next morning he was on his way to the hospital he got in his best suit and tie. His family saw him. They said, man, he's taking this so well. Dad, what, what, why, why are you dressed like that? He says, well, he says, I suppose if I'm going to be impotent, I may as well look impotent. <laughs> I want you to know something. The devil wants you to be impotent, not important. <laughs> He's trying to emasculate the church. But... But, but, there is a people. There is a people who know their God. There's a people that are not selling out. There's a people who are not compromising. There's a people who are not playing footsies in the spiritual world and worldliness. There's a people who are not sleeping with the worldly harlotry, harlot spirit. They're not laying their head on the lap of Delilah. There's a people that know their God. And the people that do know their God shall be strong and will will do exploits. I believe I'm talking about some of those people right now. I believe that I'm talking to some of those people who really do know God. We know how to get a hold of God. I want to recommend that you come and get a hold of him this next weekend. 
We have a relationship with him and he knows our voice and we know his. He knows us by name and he calls us by name. But let me just say this. If you don't know him that way today, I wouldn't leave without asking him to come into your heart. I'd ask him to come into your heart. I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm asking you to ask Jesus into your heart. I wouldn't leave without knowing that you were on talking terms with the master. You see, this world is a dark place. It's getting worse all the time. The only safe place there is, is in Jesus. He's the cliff of the rock. He's our hiding place. He's our strong tower and our defender. He's our deliverer. He's our captain. He's our shield. Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you really know him? Get to know him. Because if you know him, you won't be deceived. If you know him, you won't get carried away with flatteries and fleshly desires. And if you know him, instead of backing up and hiding out and quieting down, you'll be finding yourself standing up and shouting out and you'll be walking in the power of the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And you'll be strong and you'll do exploits. I'm calling every person that's in this auditorium to the front to meet me at the altar if you want to know God. Because this is what it's going to take to make it in these last and evil days. You have to know Him. Know Him. You've got to have the power of God in your life. You've got to live close to God. You've got to spend time in His presence. If you want to be strong and you want to do exploits, get down here right now. Let's do it together. Let's do it together. Let's let God know that there's still a people. There's still a people who want his presence, who wants his power, who wants his glory. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.